Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Welcome to our Dealmaker Insights podcast on hedging risk-free rate transactions. My name is Joe Kohler. I am a partner in Reed Smith's London office focused on structured finance transactions. Hi, and my name is Jess Piggott. I am an associate in Reed Smith's London structured finance team, and I have been working a lot on the LIBOR transition work. In this podcast today, Joe and I are going to discuss some of the issues we have encountered when working on the hedging of risk-free reference rate cash products. The transition to RFRs from LIBOR has changed the nature of hedging work because the homogeneity of the way LIBOR worked is not true of RFRs. The new rates have each developed their own features and methodologies because each is being developed in the currency area to which it relates by separate sponsoring bodies. There are, of course, similarities because the sponsoring bodies are all trying to solve the same kinds of issues and they're all aware of each other's progress and solutions. But currently, there are nuances to each solution. Yes, so a good place to probably start is with a brief recap of where we are as of today in October 2021. So most settings of LIBOR will cease at the end of this year. So that's all the sterling, euro, yen and Swiss franc settings, plus two of the dollar ones. The other $5 settings that are more liquid are expected to continue to the end of June 2023. There will be a synthetic LIBOR setting available for sterling and yen, but it's worth noting that this will only be available in limited circumstances. So really the impact of this is that most new transactions in the currency rates which are ceasing at the end of this year are being conducted in the new risk-free rate and the window in which new dollar deals can use LIBOR is also closing shortly. So the first point to check when assessing whether a derivative will hedge a cash product is whether both the derivative and the product are using the same rate. In the sterling market, it is common for both to use compounded Sonia. In the dollar market, SOFA is the RFR which is typically used, but it can be a compounded rate, an average, or a simple rate. There's also a term rate that is being calculated, but derivatives markets do not use term SOFA currently. So for the purpose of this podcast, the only point we'll make in relation to term SOFA is that if your cash product uses it, there'll definitely be a mismatch, or as we will call it, a basis risk, with your hedge. Yes, and once you've checked that you are using the same rate in both the cash product and its related hedge, the next point to check is that the formula used to calculate the interest amount over the interest period is the same. So typically, cash products use words to describe the formula, whereas derivatives often use maths. So some familiarity with standard compounding formulas, for example, understanding that the Greek letter pi is the product operator and indicates that your formula is requiring you to do repeated multiplications can be really helpful. One fundamental difference between LIBORs and RFRs 
is that LIBORs are forward-looking rates, whereas RFRs typically observe the rates at which overnight deposits are actually transacted in the relevant market. So, whereas at the start of an interest period for a payment flow based on LIBOR, the payer could know what it would pay at the end of that interest period, for a payment flow based on an RFR reflecting observed overnight rates, the payer can only know what it will pay when the period over which the interest is accrued is complete. So an operational problem lurks here. What I mean is that a payer of a floating amount typically needs a bit of time to source funds to pay that floating amount and organize the payment. The markets have worked on various solutions to this problem, but the key point to note when we are focused on hedging cash products is that the solution implemented in the cash product has to be replicated in the hedge or the basis that arises between the two needs to be priced and accounted for. A common solution to the operational problem is to provide for a look back. What this means is that when you are using a rate in the formula to determine the interest amount, the rate you use is one which was observed in the market a length of time previously. That length of time is the look back period. So, one aspect of the task of working out whether a hedge is going to fund the floating rate under a cash product is checking whether the formula in the hedge and the formula in the cash product both use the same look back period. It's also probably worth noting here that a look back period can also be combined with an observation shift or the observation shift can be used on its own or a lockout period can be used. The point really about hedging is that you want no basis risk. So the same solution needs to be used in both the cash product and the hedge. If different solutions are used, you're going to have a price associated with that basis. So we've dealt with some of the most fundamental points, but there are other potential sources of basis between the cash product and its hedge. One is that the documentation for each might apply a different rounding convention For instance, hedge documents which use ISDA standards will definitely incorporate a rounding convention, and that rounding convention is specific to each currency. Compare that against the American Loan Syndications and Trading Association loan documents, which do not do so. The two documents might also use a different business day convention. For instance, it is common in ISDA documents to use a concept called modified following which basically means any determination to be made on a day that's not a business day will roll to the next business day, unless that next business day is in the next month, in which case it will roll back a business day. In the European Loan Market Association, that's the LMA, loan documents, the convention is end-end. Another key question is how the formulae in the cash product and its associated hedge apply a negative RFR that is observed. In an era of low interest rates, negative interest rates are conceivable. However, lenders are often reluctant to pay their borrowers for lending them money, and so often will insert a floor on the interest rate, usually at zero, but it could be done above that. As a result, the hedge could also contain such a floor. ISDA's Supplement 75 to the 2006 ISDA definitions provides that the floating rate formula 
uses the greater of the RFR level on the applicable business day or a rate specified in the derivatives confirmation as the, well, this is a defined term, daily broad rate. Yeah, it's important to note that there is a pricing point to consider here too. So when the borrower agrees to pay an interest rate subject to a floor under the loan, it is providing its lender with an option. So that's to say the lender has an automatically exercised option to receive the greater of the floor and the benchmark rate. And typically borrowers extract no value for providing this option. So turning to the hedge, if the borrower tries to back out of this arrangement to its hedge counterparty, the hedge counterparty will, given the sophistication of risk pricing in the trading book, extract the price of providing this option to the borrower. This price is then paid as a higher fixed rate, which the borrower pays under the hedge. So really, this means that the borrower has a number of choices. It can either put the floor in both documents and pay the higher fixed rate, or it can allow the floor to go in the loan only, so that if the risk-free rate goes below the floor, the borrower's cost of funds will increase. Or it could insist that there's no flaw in either the loan or the swap. So this debate is then amplified if the flaw is applied on a daily basis. So if the borrower is providing an American option to the lender, as opposed to being applied over the full interest period. So if the borrower is providing a European option to the lender, because typically American options are more expensive than European ones. So move away from pricing and go back to kind of the dogs. In all this discussion about matching the rates used by the loan and by the hedge, one point we've not discussed is credit adjustment spreads. The reason we have not discussed it is because we started this podcast noting that practically all new cash products are now using RFRs from the start. For these deals, there is not a compelling reason to include a credit adjustment spread. However, for older deals, which are actively transitioning from LIBOR to an RFR, the fact that RFRs are typically lower than their equivalent LIBOR means that the transition activity itself could involve a transfer of value. Were it not, but the credit adjustment spread making up the difference. So in the context of hedging of a transitioning cash product, you could imagine that the party looking to hedge its exposure would want the same credit adjustment spread added to the RFR for the loan as is added to the RFR for the hedge. And in relation to the floor we've just been discussing, you'd expect the floor to be applied to the sum of the RFR plus the credit adjustment spread. So from what Joe's just said, we can align the floating rates, the derivatives and the loans pay, but I guess something to consider it is the fallbacks and what happens if the risk-free rate itself ceases at some point in the future. Can hedging parties align the fallbacks in the derivatives and the loans too? Well, yes, they could. But this is unfortunately to move away from the market standard positions that have been established in, on the one hand, the loan markets, and on the other, the derivatives markets. Where parties move away from market standards, there will be other implications for them. And those implications often give rise to cost. As a result, parties wanting to hedge their loan exposures with derivatives 
should expect some exposure to basis risk on this point or be prepared to pay for the privilege. So the loan and derivatives markets have developed separately, partly because different trade associations are responsible for each set of market standard documents. This is exacerbated in the context of the loan markets because there are different trade associations operating in the US and European marketplaces. That's the LSTA in the US and the LMA in the European. So actually, a US loan and a European loan, both of which reference the same RFR, will take divergent approaches to fallbacks. Over time, there may be some efforts to harmonize documentary conventions. But right now, the emphasis is on the heavy lifting to respond to the cessation of LIBOR. So issues like this are, unfortunately, for the future. I think it'd be helpful to give some examples of the differences that arise. So I'll start with Sonia and compare the LMA standards with ISDAs. So the LMA provides that if Sonia is not available on an RFR banking day, the rate shall instead be the aggregate of the central bank rate and the applicable central bank rate adjustment. So the central bank rate is defined as the Bank of England's bank rate. And the central bank rate adjustment is a field to be populated by the parties. The parties often choose to apply a trimmed arithmetic mean of the difference between Sonia and the central bank rate for the five most immediately preceding RFR banking days for which Sonia was available. By contrast, ISDA uses the last published Sonia. So if rather than just being unavailable, Sonia suffers an event that goes to its ongoing viability, such as its administrator or supervisor declares it can no longer be used, the LMA provides that amendments can be made to the loan with the consent of the agent and the obligors to either replace Sonia with a rate that has been formally designated as the replacement, or which the obligors believe is generally accepted in the relevant markets or which the obligors believe is an appropriate successor. So in each of the last two cases, the obligors would need to operate with the requisite consent level. In broadly similar circumstances, although the actual wording does differ, is to provide that the effective derivative falls back automatically to the GBP recommended rate, which is the rate that is recommended by Sonia's administrator or an appropriate regulator in the absence of Sonia's administrator, making its own recommendation. And if there's then no GBP recommended rate, ISDA provides for a further fallback to the UK bank rate. So that's Sonia. With the SOFA, the ISDA fallbacks are first the Fed recommended rate, then the overnight bank funding rate, and the Federal Open Market Committee's target rate. By comparison, the LMA applies the same loan amendment regime just just described. Probably something that we haven't spoken about yet that's worth noting is that many derivative dealers also incorporate ISDA's benchmark supplement into their confirmations. So this supplement was published before the specific fallbacks for each risk-free rate were finalised, and it only has effect where specific fallbacks are exhausted and provides what it calls alternative continuation fallbacks to benchmark trigger events. 
So the alternative continuation fallbacks each involve parties to the derivative to act in good faith and to also use commercially reasonable efforts to find a solution to the benchmark trigger event. The alternative continuation fallbacks are all available in parallel until the first of them is implemented. Ultimately, if those alternative continuation fallbacks do not remediate the situation, there is a no-fault termination right, which means if exercised by either party leads to a termination of the derivative at a mid-market valuation. So really the reason for mentioning this here is that where the benchmark supplement applies, the hedging party is likely to have rights it can use in its derivative to try and remediate a benchmark event, although this doesn't necessarily mean it has the same rights sitting in its loan agreement. We're going to finish this podcast with a reference to two initiatives by ISDA. The first is that he has published three template loan hedging confirmations. These are a great starting point when trying to deal with the issues we've highlighted in this podcast. The second is that it has published the 2021 interest rate derivatives definitions. The market has just begun to implement these. These are described by ISDA as an update to the 2006 definitions and its supplements. Essentially, what we have said about derivatives is true both under the 2006 definitions and the 2021s. But there are some nuances. For example, whilst parties had to specifically choose whether or not to incorporate the benchmark supplement into a derivative using the 2006 definitions, the contents of that supplement are broadly incorporated within the 2021s and so apply automatically. And with that, we have come to an end of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening and we hope you have found what we have said useful. If you do have any questions or comments, please do feel free to get in touch. Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, readsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at readsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.